I'll throw it in. I'll throw it in there. This never gets any nicer. Um, if you've got your Bible with you, um, <coughs> open up it. Psalm 23, please. And uh, while you're doing that, uh, I'll pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the service that we've had this morning so far, Lord. Thank you that it's been so centered on you, Lord, and on what your son has done for us and our sin, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that as we come to look at your word this morning now, I pray that you'd bless us, Lord. I pray that you'd, you'd speak, Lord, and that you'd help us to learn something from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, probably one of the most, if not the most influential man in my life was my, my grandad Cecil, um, Cecil Thompson. And he passed away um, after a long illness in 2019. But he was such a good influence to me and to our family um, in terms of what it meant to be a Christian. Um, I've never seen anybody live their life for the Lord the way I saw my granda do it. Um, and he loved singing. And one of his favorite choruses was, I have a shepherd. Um, and we'll sing it at the end, um, if that's okay. But I always would have heard him singing that. Um, didn't matter where we were, if we're in the car, in the house, or watching football or whatever it was, he was always singing that song. Um, and it's a really close song to my heart because of that. And while I was thinking about that song, it sort of drew me to this passage of Psalm 23. Um, and the 23rd Psalm is probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the Bible. Um, so many people recite it. Um, I've heard it being recited at weddings and funerals and um, in schools and <coughs> loads of different settings in life. You hear that um, Psalm shared or recited. It's used so often. Um, James Montgomery Boyce said this about it. He said that millions of people have memorized this Psalm, even those who have learned few other scripture portions. Ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through severe personal trials, suffering illness or dying. And for some, the words of this psalm have been the last that they've ever uttered in life. Such a well-known passage of scripture. But sometimes that can be a problem for us. Um, I know for me, the more I get to know something, the more that I hear it, um, or the more that I listen to it, I almost don't take it in and I take it for granted. I suppose that links into what Bert was saying earlier on. Um, that we get so used to it. So I want to spend some time looking at it, and it's, <laughs> there's so much you could get out of it. So, you know, it really isn't the most in-depth study, um, but hopefully there's something that we can all take away from it. So let's read it together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You pre prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David is the person who wrote this psalm. Um, and when you read through the psalms and the ones that David wrote, a lot of them can be about complaint, um, complaint to the Lord for what he's going through, or confusion. 
um, in the situations that he finds himself in. But this psalm is definitely a psalm of comfort. And even as you start to read it, you become relaxed. You know, every time I read through that psalm, it, it relaxes me. And you can almost sense that relaxation in David's pen as he wrote it. And we'll just go through it verse by verse. So look at verse 1. It starts by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the first point that I took away from this um, is that David very clearly has a relationship with the Lord. Uh, he likens the Lord to a shepherd. And he's probably done that because of his own background. You know, We all know that David was a shepherd boy. Um, he looked after um, his father's sheep, and that's where he was um, in a lot of his, his youth or his younger years. So he knew that rule really well, and he was able to relate that to his relationship with the Lord. He was really close to him. And in saying that the Lord's his shepherd, David's really saying that the Lord's nearby. The Lord looks after him. He provides for him. And if we look then to Jesus as the shepherd, there's a few times that he refers to himself as shepherd in the Bible, or he's referred to as a shepherd in the Bible. Um, John chapter 10, you don't need to turn to it, but John chapter 10 You'll know that passage where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Um, and if you look at that passage, the reason that he's the good shepherd is because he lays his life down for the sheep. Um, and in 1 Peter 5, verse uh, 1 to 5, Jesus re is referred to as the chief shepherd. He's the preeminent one. He's the ultimate. He's the true shepherd. And that passage tells us that when that shepherd returns, we will receive our crown of glory. And there's some lovely thoughts about Jesus as the shepherd. And it's lovely that Jesus is the good shepherd and it's fantastic that he's the, the chief shepherd. But my favorite reference of all is that David's able to call him my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Spurgeon says this about it. The sweetest word of the whole psalm is that monosyllable, my. He does not say the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large and leads forth a multitude as his, as his flock. But the Lord is my shepherd. And if he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me, he watches over me, and he preserves me. And that's a real challenge for us. You know, are, are we able to confidently say that this morning? Do you know him as your shepherd? And have you trusted your life into his hands? Because that's what David has done, and that's why he's got that relationship with the Lord. And then I suppose if you look at the flip side of it, if the Lord is his shepherd, then David is inferring that he's like a sheep. Um, and that really does a lot for grounding us on what we're really like. Um, and how much we really do need to depend on the shepherd. Um, if we think about sheep very briefly, don't know an awful lot about them. Um, never spent a lot of time with them, but I'm sure there's people in the room who know more than I do. But from what I can see, they're very vulnerable. Um, they can't defend themselves from predators. They're slow and they're clumsy, and they're absolutely incapable of providing for themselves. And they also wander, so they get lost. They don't really stick together. They sort of are prone to wandering away and, and having a wee, you know, adventure on their own. Or on the other side of that, they just follow whatever's happening. So they just follow all the other sheep, and then they all get lost together. Um, I don't think a sheep would last very long in the ancient Middle East without a shepherd. You know, it wouldn't be long until they went missing or they got eaten. Um, and the shepherd is 100% necessary to ensure that the, the sheep are safe and secure. He keeps them together. He leads them to food and to water. He protects them from predators. And he ensures that they have everything that they need. So when David is saying that the Lord is his shepherd, he's declaring on one hand that he is easily lost and vulnerable and incapable of finding his own way through life. 
And on the other hand, he's stating that he's completely and utterly dependent on the shepherd to guide him and protect him from everything that life throws at him. And when you read that and unpack that, it's no surprise that he concludes that first verse by saying, I shall not want. You know, this term doesn't mean that David gets everything that he wants. You know, it's not that sort of, I shall not want. It's, it means that the shepherd is so good and he's so understanding and he's so good at leading that no matter the circumstances, he trusts the shepherd in providing for him. You know, we all know that passage in Matthew 6 where um, it looks at anxiety and, and what we should, you know, p- people worrying about what they should eat or what they should drink. And, and Jesus tells them to you know, look at the birds of the air and how much he cares for them. And, and at the end of that, uh, Matthew 6, verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So Jesus himself tells us not to worry about material things and not to worry about um, what we want, but rather to put his kingdom first and the shepherd will provide everything else for us. Look at verse 2. David goes on to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. So two big statements that David makes in this verse. The first statement he makes is that the shepherd makes him lie down in green pastures. From what I can see from sheep, <laughs> again, uh, green pastures seem to be their ultimate goal. Um, that seems to be the best thing that a sheep could have. And David is saying here that in the midst of a busy life with all his worries and stresses, the shepherd makes him stop and lie down to enjoy the nourishment and nutrient of the choicest grass that's available. And David's reference here for that grass and that pasture is God's word. These lush meadows of biblical truth are always vibrant. They're never withered or wilted. And it's the spiritual food that, that gives David the inward strength and satisfaction that he needs. And it's also... Uh, something that I picked up on whenever I was going through this, that David is made to lie down to enjoy the green pastures by the shepherd. Maybe not something that he chooses to. You know, the shepherd creates the desire for us to feed on his word. And he does this using two methods. The first thing he does is the shepherd creates our hunger. You know, God creates a spiritual desire for his word. And only God can generate an appetite for this soul food. Ezekiel chapter 36, um, verses 26 and 27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God there is saying that he alone can transform a life through salvation, and he alone can cause someone to desire to follow him. So that's a challenge for us as well. Do we desire, do we have that desire in our heart to follow the shepherd? Do we crave his word? Deuteronomy um, chapter 8 says, The whole commandment that I commanded you today, you should be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in other words, we must be fed daily by God's word. And that was a big challenge to me as I looked through this because that's something that I really struggle with at times. You know, I I definitely don't spend enough time in God's word as I should. 
And the only way that we can have the life and the comfort that David has is by following the word of the shepherd. David earlier in the Psalms, in Psalm 19, says that God's words are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. David had so much desire for God's word and God changed his heart and put the desire for the shepherd in him. And because of that, David longs for his instruction and call more than anything else that the world can offer. I, I don't know about you, but I so often get caught up in filling myself up with other things that the world offers. And oftentimes the Bible or prayer is further down in my list than I would like to admit. But those things that you try to fill your life with, they never fulfill, they never satisfy you really. It's only the green pastures that the shepherd makes us lie down in that will give us that fill. So the shepherd creates our hunger, but secondly, the shepherd feeds us his word as well. You know, nobody here has had a straightforward path in life, I'm sure. You know, we've all had trials and temptations and hardships through our lives that, you know, often really challenge us. You can struggle with friendships or in family or in school or your career, your health, your finance. There's so many things that we can struggle with and we have struggled with as a church. But in these times, God is close. He feeds us his word when we need it. Psalm 119, verse 28 says, My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. And then in verse 50 it says, This is my comfort and my affliction, that your word has revived me. So do you see that the good shepherd is working in your life to create a greater hunger for his word? And is he using times of adversity to draw you back to his word so that you can find rest for your soul? Look then um, at the second statement in verse 2. It says, He leads me beside still waters. Um, sheep also seem to be quite um, fearful beasts um, that get easily spooked um, and shepherds in the ancient Middle East would have probably had quite a lot of, a, of work to do to try and find them somewhere to drink but they always would have known where the best spots would have been you know there wouldn't have been any point leading to them to you know rivers that are gushing and loud with waves or you know big currents because the sheep wouldn't have been able to rest there they would have been scared of the current and they probably wouldn't have drank very well either. Rather, the shepherd leads them to still waters, places in the stream where the water's peaceful and calming. Um, last Saturday, um, after Levi's football match, I thought it'd be a great idea to take him to the swimming pool because we were at the Aurora. Um, and I'm not exaggerating when I say we lasted about six minutes in the pool. Um, we got in and as we were looking down, I was like, there's the swimming pool and we're going to go in. And this was his first time in the big pool. And... Um, you could see right to the bottom, no one else was there. You know what it's like when you're in a swimming pool, and it's just perfect. And I got in and I thought, yep, this is gonna be great, no problem. Levi's gonna jump in and we're gonna to learn to swim. And uh, he got in and we didn't learn to swim. Um, he started to freak out and splash about and panic. And, and the more that he panicked and realized that the water was moving around, the more he panicked again and it was awful. And yeah, the lifeguard had a good laugh at me. Um, yeah, so six minutes of swimming time is what we've had. But the more that the, the water got unsettled, the more it panicked him. And yet when it's still and it's calm, there's nothing nicer than looking into a nice swimming pool or a nice still water. How many times have you spoken to a Christian in your life who's gone through something really difficult and you think, how, how, could, how could that happen? How could you get through that? And they've responded with something along the lines of, I just had a peace about it, or I just knew that God was with me. You know, our shepherd gives us a tranquility of heart that helps us to cope in all situations. 
Jesus says in John, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So our shepherd provides peace and calmness, like still waters, which the world can't offer to us. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The tender care of the shepherd described in the previous verse had its intended effect. David's soul was restored by those green pastures and still waters that the shepherd brought him to. And that word restore that's used in that verse has the sort of idea of rescuing someone who's lost. And you can imagine that picture that you see in those you know, picture Bibles that you got when you were younger with the Jesus of the shepherd bringing the, the sheep back um, over his shoulders. Um, and restores my soul can also be translated as brings me to repentance, which is fantastic news for us this morning. And we've talked about having, there's, that there's only two uh, categories of people in the world before. There's believers and there's unbelievers. So for those of you who haven't been to the shepherd yet, he's the only one that will bring you back to those green pastures and still waters. And he's the one and the only one who's able and willing to restore your, your soul. And to us as believers, it's great comfort because it doesn't matter if we've messed up this week or if we've backslid this week because the good news is that the shepherd will continually bring you back to the fold. He's continually there to help you to persevere through your stumbling life as a sheep. That word restore has the same meaning as um, in the story of Noah, um, with the, the dove going out and then being restored back to its original position when it came home. And that's the thought there, you know, God will restore us and he'll bring us back to where we once were. So it doesn't matter how many times you've messed up or you've let him down, keep coming back to him and he'll keep restoring you. David goes on then to say that he leads me in paths of righteousness. So the shepherd doesn't only just lead us to green pastures of God's word and the still waters um, of peace for the soul. He also leads us to righteousness. And again, David is describing that close relationship with the Lord and showing that God is intimately involved in his life. The Lord's really interested in his choices and decisions and he leads David to righteous acts of obedience. And also note there that um, the word paths is plural, not just one path, which tells us that the Lord is interested in all the aspects of David's life. So we can be righteous in, in everything that we do. It's not just for a Sunday, it's not just for coming to church. In our family, in our work, with our finances, in our personal lives, God cares about the decisions that we make. Why? Well, the verse finishes it, for his name's sake. You know, when we look in the Bible and it talks about a person's name, it represents everything that they are. It's a summary of their character. It's their reputation. And this says that all God does is for the magnification of his own name because there's nothing greater than that. Um, ultimately, everything that God does is to bring honor to himself. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is the first sort of twist in the, the psalm because up until now we've been looking at calm um, waters and we've been looking at green pastures and being restored. And all of a sudden now we're, we're looking at something uncomfortable, an analogy that we don't really like. We're not looking at a spiritual mountaintop anymore. Um, we're looking at a valley and one that hedges us in and surrounds us. 
And if I was writing a, a psalm of comfort, if I was David, I probably wouldn't start to talk about valleys of shadows of death. But the more that I've considered it and the more that I've studied it, the more that I've realized that there's so much comfort in this verse because it really reminds me of my humanity and my need for the shepherd. And it also reminds me and comforts me because when I've got the shepherd guiding me through life, I can walk through this valley of the shadow of death. You'll notice that I'm not stopping. I'm walking through a valley of shadow of death. It's not like where I, I stop um, and he makes me to lie down in the green pastures or where I stop to enjoy the still waters. I'm walking through it and I'm not stopping. And it's also comforting because it's only a shadow. And the reason that it's only a shadow is because of Jesus, who's the good and faithful shepherd, because he took on the real grip of death and the real power of death so that his sheep don't need to. He's paid the price for our sin. And because of this, we can pass through to the everlasting pastures where there will be no death or hell. Most commentators seem to agree that David was thinking about a very specific place when he wrote this psalm and when he was talking about this valley. Um, that valley of the shadow of death was probably the Hinnom Valley, or it could be translated as Hell Valley, which was an area just outside the city of Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem is slightly higher than this valley, and so the people used it as a sort of a dump um, place to throw their waste. They would have allowed their human waste to sort of flow out into this valley. They would have put dead animals there or executed criminals would have been dumped there. And even during David's time, whenever there was pagan worship and people sacrificed their babies to Molech um, through burning them, they would have left their remains in the valley of Hinnom. And then because of all the waste, the knock-on effect of that is that it absolutely stank. It smelled so bad that the only way they could stop the smell getting into the city was to constantly have fires lit. So there would always be a fire lit in this valley. And because of all the fire, there would have been loads of smoke and hot burning all through this valley. So thick that in parts of it, you probably wouldn't be able to see your hand in front of your face. A real place of waste and filth, place of desolation and fear. And this is the valley that David's drawn to. It doesn't get much worse than that. With the shepherd as his guide, as his guide David would be confident to make his way through the Hinnom Valley. And as I was looking into this, as a side note, the only thing that would have grown and thrived in the Hinnom Valley while all this was going on would have been mustard seeds. And so that sort of shows us that if we have faith, like a mustard seed, like Jesus tells us to, and if we trust the shepherd, we can thrive even in Hell Valley. And the reason that we can walk through this valley is because the shepherd is with us. Because he's already made the journey. He knows the way. Martin Luther said this, I know not the way God leads me, but well do I know my guide. You know, we don't always know what life's going to throw at us. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what the next hour brings. But we know that Jesus has already been there. God has already been there. And if we're trusting in him, we can make our way through this life. And when we read the verse in context that it's meant to be read, we can see that there actually is lots of comfort in verse 4. It goes on to say, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So David here mentions two pieces of equipment that would have been used, a rod and a staff. And a shepherd would have used both of these items for two different reasons. The rod was a short, thick sort of club that was used to defend sheep from predators. So the shepherd would have used this to protect the sheep in dangerous uh, circumstances or situations. And then he also had a staff, which is a long rod-like um, 
item with a crook on the end. And the shepherd would have used that to inspect the sheep or to guide them um, or to keep them close by or maybe even to lift them if he, had, if he had to keep them out of trouble. Two really different items and two very different items that are used in two very different ways. One for protection with an aggressive hand and one for, safe, for safeguarding with a caring and affectionate hand. And both of these items ultimately are for comfort and that's the theme that runs through Psalm 23. The sheep can always feel safe and secure when the shepherd has his rod and his staff. Mark records, um, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. When they saw him, they were terrified. But Jesus said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And it's the same as what the Psalm's talking about here. These, these instruments also remind us that it's not always plain sailing. Sometimes we go through storms and sometimes we're scared. And sometimes God needs to protect us from ourselves as well. Sometimes we need his comfort and gentle staff, but other times we need his chastisement from his rod to keep us on the right path. Hebrews 12 verse six says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This part of the Psalm to me is the most striking. Um, Remember what we've just read in the previous verse, David's in a valley of the shadow of death. Things aren't good, the picture's bleak. And now all of a sudden the shepherd that we've referred to so far has been referred to as a host at a dinner party. You know, this banquet is provided by a host who not only has the bounty to feed, but the power to protect. And even though surrounded by enemies, I can sit down at this table with confidence knowing that I shall feast in perfect security. God's good to us as his people. Even when we feel surrounded by those who hate us or who hate him, even if we're overcome with grief or with sin, he still comforts us. He still protects us so that we can stop to refresh our souls. And it's a really lovely picture that this is painted. You know, David mentions the table, which suggests the bounty. There's lots there. It's not just a wee quickly packed picnic. It's a table that's prepared for us in the middle of our enemies. He uses the word prepare, which suggests that the shepherd has had foresight and care, and he's really planned out our meal, and he's put it before me, which again suggests that personal connection. Spurgeon said this, when a soldier is in the presence of, an, of his enemies, if he, if he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal, and away he hastens to the fight. But observe, thou preparest the table, just as a servant does when he unfolds the cloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried. There's no confusion. There's no disturbance. The enemy is at the door and yet God prepares a table and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. You know, isn't that the life of a Christian? We know it well. It's a battle. It's not always easy. There's always conflict. But thanks to the shepherd, there's always a table spread. Look then um, at the rest of the verse. It says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Anointing someone's head in Bible times was a sign of um, a courtesy. Um, it was a refreshing thing to do for someone important. Maybe they'd visit you, visited you and they'd had a long journey and um, you would have poured oil over their head. Maybe you would have perfumed it with herbs and spices. And it was a sign of welcome and respect. It wasn't just a normal thing that we do for friends or, or family you'd see every day. It was very formal. 
And it was really you saying that you're honored by that person's um, presence. You know, the, the psalmist David has come through and this psalm, he's come through the valley of the shadow of death. And like him, we might be battered and bruised and weary after the battles of life, injured and exhausted, conscious of our weaknesses and our failures. And we would probably rather hide away and lick our wounds. We certainly wouldn't want to stay for company. But God has other plans. He refreshes us and he restores us. And he's glad to see us at his table. Just as we are, he welcomes us. And so this line of the psalm becomes not just a picture of hospitality, but also of salvation. As that old hymn says, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And we're honoured guests at the Lord's table. And this verse also talks about you know, the permanency of that, or refers to the permanency of that. In the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table created a bond of mutual loyalty. Um, it could have been culminated by a, a covenant. So to be, the get, to be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance, invited for a day, it is to live with him. David then goes on in the, the rest of that verse to say, my cup overflows, which is another simple metaphor for abundance. And the cup represents life. It's a vessel, just like we are, and it's made useful by what fills it. And the anointing means that we are filled with God's presence. Um, the word for overflows only appears twice in all of Scripture, uh, both in the Psalms, actually, the other time in Psalm 66, where it's translated as wealthy. So the message here is clear. Even in the presence of distress, surrounded by your enemies, in difficulties in the valley of the shadow of death, we have an abundance because the Lord is our shepherd. The last verse then, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From the start of this psalm, we've been looking at things that are happening in the present tense. It's all been here and now. And at the very end, David shifts and looks at the future. And he starts off that verse by saying the word surely. It's like an exclamation, like of course or indeed, which indicates that um, everything that we've already looked at, the light of the evidence that we've already seen, it would be absolutely ridiculous to reach any other conclusion than what I'm about to say. David says that goodness will follow him. And this word speaks of abundant blessings and lavish benefits that God has bestowed on him. And this word is evidence the spiritual prosperity that he's experienced in following the Lord. All that he has needed, God has always provided. And David also confesses that mercy of the Lord will follow him. And this is the Lord's unconditional loyal love for David and all who trust in him. This word comes from the Hebrew word um, that means to bend down or to bow down, which describes how God comes down and reaches all the way down to where we are. If the Lord is the shepherd who leads us, then goodness and mercy follow us like a sheepdogs. They keep us on the right path. And as we follow the Lord and we stumble or we backslide, mercy and goodness are always there to remind us where the shepherd is and to lead us back to him. Spurgeon said that these twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and my back. Just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended. So it is with the believer. And David uses that term, will follow me, which means to sort of pursue or to chase after, to run after them, after him, all the days of my life. 
There'll be times when our love and our strength for God subside or subdue, but God's love for David and for us is ever strong and ever steadfast. God's loyal love for David doesn't depend on his love in return. God's love for David depends on God himself who never weakens or wavers or changes. And then David rounds up the whole psalm with the most comforting words of all. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our final destination as believers. Regardless of a life filled with green pastures or dark valleys, surrounded by still waters or in the midst of our enemies, we are going home to the shepherd's fold and we will dwell there for eternity. God is good. But unbeliever, this only applies to God's people. David is writing this as a Christian, as a sheep, as someone who follows the shepherd. So how can you have this comfort that we've been talking about? Well, if you get time when you go home, look at the chapter or the psalm that comes before this one and the psalm which comes after, because Psalm 23 sandwiched quite nicely um, between 22 and 24, and it explains a lot more about how we can have this shepherd. You see, Psalm 22 looks at Jesus Um, It talks a lot about Jesus and the cross of Jesus, the punishment that he's going to go through for us, dying for our sins and dealing uh, with with our sin for us. So Psalm 22 is all about the cross of the shepherd. And Psalm 23 is about the comfort of the shepherd. And that's what we've looked at this morning, the comforting words and the comforting actions that he gives us. And then Psalm 24 looks ahead to the coming of the shepherd. And we read about what's going to happen when the shepherd returns. And so the only way that you can have the comfort of the shepherd and you can be in the group that is going to go with the shepherd when he comes back is if you go to Psalm 22 and you kneel at the cross of the shepherd and you realize that he has died for your sin and he is the only way that you can have eternal peace and eternal security. So can we just finish then by singing that hymn, Janet, if that's okay? Um, That great hymn that my granda loved to sing. And while we do it, let's think about the shepherd and think about the Lord and what he's done for us. And if you haven't already, now is the time to admit that you need a shepherd and that you need to follow him. Amen.